Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our good news segment. So great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Amy Cranbeck, Dr. Amy Cranbeck, is joining us here today. Urologist at Northwest Memorial Hospital, professor of urology at Northwestern University, uh, Feinberg School of Medicine. Now, here's what I want to say before we start this. Um, Purpose and passion is the way I would describe her, but even more importantly, absolute science and dedication to healing. Today, here's the question. Did you know that there are now advances in the treatment options for prostate condition? Did you know what the rate is now for men age 50 and over? Did you know, fill in the blank? Here we go with Dr. Amy. Dr. Amy, great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I agree. I'm glad I get to speak about something I feel very passionate (laughs) about, uh, which is treatment of enlarged prostate. Um, Thank you so much for joining us here today. I I think many of us in in our family lives, whether it's our parents, whether it's a spouse, it doesn't matter. You know, we have been touched by this in ways that I don't think any of us realized. You know, we don't really quite understand the magnitude of this, but can you just take a minute and give us an update on where are we? What is sort of the state of the union with statistics uh, around an enlarged prostate? Yeah, so it, you know, men tend to not talk about their prostate issues or enlargement. So uh, many people go unaware that their family members are suffering, but it's about 50% of men in their 50s and 80% of men in their 80s will have difficulties urinating related to their prostate enlargement. And um, this is because the prostate grows about 2.2% on average every year of a man's life. Um, So just like your nose gets bigger, your ears get bigger, so does your prostate. And as it enlarges, uh, it becomes more and more difficult to urinate because the urethra, the tube you urinate through, goes through the center of the prostate. So as the prostate enlarges, it constricts down on the urethra and makes it very difficult to empty your bladder. So, you know, can I just ask you a question? You know, fast forward to where we are today. Um, and, uh, you know, they'll take a look at this for where we've been because, you know, I don't know about what your personal experience is, but I certainly know that this is the world that you've described so beautifully where men don't talk about it. So we don't have good anecdotal data on it. We don't have good qualitative data on it because it's hard to get that. But one of the things that I want to ask you, 
seems like the advances in this area, at least for research and knowledge and understanding, have sort of quantum leaped in a short period of time. What's your sense of that? Or is it just that I've been out of the loop? I, I think your sense is dead on. So, you know, people are, are consumers and patients are consumers. And I think we're, we're starting to understand that. And BPH is very common. So the companies are, are rapidly developing new and better treatments uh, for BPH uh, to treat the masses. So, mm-hmm. you know, 70 years ago, you were getting a scrape out or a roto-rooter or a turf, and that was your only option. Now we have medications. We have office-based therapies where people come into the office and they get a treatment. Um, Those are effective but may not last for a long period of time. And then we have surgical procedures where you can leave the same day, um, oftentimes without a catheter, and and you've got a long-term fix for the rest of your life. So there's varying degrees of treatment options available uh, depending on the severity of symptoms and how much the patient really wants to have done. And don't you believe that these advances in science will really change the landscape or the perspective for men in wanting to find out more? Because I, you know, I think you're right. I mean, if you were talking to my dad about something like this, he would have a gazillion extraneous things that would happen to him. And I think what you're doing by bringing this out, no, you know what I mean, right? Uh, By bringing this out here, what we're saying is, wait a minute, wait a minute. These advances are not the same treatment that you used to hear about. So isn't part of what you're doing today also to say, pass the word around? Exactly. Like if there is one take home from uh, this conversation today, it's that men should understand that this is not normal, uh, that this is not a normal part of aging that you just have to put up with, that you can have a treatment with minimal side effects, minimal downtime and reset the clock and get your life back. I see so many men who really won't leave the house or won't leave their neighborhood because they they are afraid they're going to have an accident or they have to urinate every minutes to an hour and they believe that that is normal and it's it's not. Mm -hmm. You you can live out your life with a good quality of life if you get the right treatment. Um, Let me ask you a different question because I'd love for you to fill in the blanks that I have. Um, With these latest advances, let's make sure we give people a website to go to because that's really the most important thing. They have to have a way to go online, look this up, send the link on to their husbands, their fathers, their grandfathers, whoever it is. What is the best way for people to find out more about exactly what we're talking about today? So I would recommend two websites. The first is the Northwestern at www.nm.org backslash urology. And the second is my personal website at www.drcrambeck.com. And both of those websites will give you more information about BPH and treatment options and what you can do. So in the world you live in, and this is a passion and a purpose for you, and I would imagine, you know, most of the time when I meet people that are passionate about what they do, like you and I, there's usually a story about that, usually something that if we would have known this, then it would be a different world. I want to ask you that same question, you know, What do we want to say to men to say, look, that was then, this is now. 
There are so many of the latest advances in treatment. And what I mean by that too is men and women don't know the right questions to ask. So how can we help with people that are listening to this to say, look, here are a couple questions you may want to ask your doctor, especially if you don't feel like talking about this. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I think first and foremost is to understand that, you know, a lot of men have watched their grandfather or their father go through a procedure and they may have had really bad complications, bleeding in and out of the hospital, maybe urinary leakage issues, erectile dysfunction, and they're terrified that that's going to happen to them. And, and the surgeries that we do now are, are not the surgeries from the past. Um, so you can get treated now without fear of those really severe side effects. We've, we've fine-tuned equipment, we've changed equipment, and we've changed techniques to improve the outcomes. So that's, that's number one. And number two is don't, don't wait too long. I see men that, that literally, at least once a year, I'll see a man who is in kidney failure, mm. um, who has to initiate dialysis because they went so long um, without seeking treatment for, for retention. They're not urinating at all. So don't be that person. Seek treatment early um, because there are options that, that can treat you effectively and minimize your suffering with minimal if, if no side effects. Yeah, see, that's really the real change. That's really the real transformative aspect of the science of what we're talking about now, right? Um, now what we need to do yeah. is we need to transform mindsets. We really, and I think that's why you're doing this, right, Dr. Amy? It's not just to give us up-to-date information, but to say, wait a minute, this has changed. Please talk to your family. Please talk to your loved ones, right? Right. I, I think life is too short to suffer. And I, I just, it really breaks my heart to see these men that, that really have changed years of their life because of urination, a fixable issue. I love it. You know, thank you so much for all that you're doing. Um, I also would love for you to just give us the website again. But I also have one last question. I know you're on the pulse of where we are today. I want to know what is in the works, so to speak. You know, when you look ahead a year, let's say, and you know what kind of science is being developed for this, what kind of excites you most? Yeah. I think it is so exciting to see how we are able to treat people um, so minimally invasive, and it's almost like they had nothing done. Mm. You know, there's no scar, um, there's no side effects, they go home the same day. It's almost just like a blip on the screen for them, and that's only going to get better and better. It, it's so exciting to see how... It almost reminds me as a kid when, when you'd watch Star Trek and they would run the device over the person and then they were healed. <laughs> that's, that's where medicine is going. Like, you can't tell what, what someone had done based on looking at their body because there's no scars and they recover so quickly. So that's where we're headed with this. And it, it's only getting better every year. I love it. Now, please give out that website again. And then one last question. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? My personal message is talk about it. If, if you've had a procedure or you've had symptoms, share that with your friends or your loved ones because they, 
the odds are they're dealing with it too and they, they don't know who to talk to. So that's number one. Or, or talk to your doctor. Make sure they understand what you're dealing with and the symptoms that you're having. Uh, the website is www.nm.org backslash urology and www.drcrambeck.com. I love it. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. And boy, thank you for opening up a door that allows men to have a conversation that doesn't seem as scary. Thank you so much for that. You have a great day. Thank you for allowing me on your program. You bet. Hey, everybody, this is a good news segment right here on Dr. Pat Show, Transformation Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Not just talk, conversation for profound self-awareness. Stick with us. Your best life awaits on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Pat. I'm the host of The Dr. Pat Show, and I am the creator of The Transformation Network, doing what we do in the world of positive radio, informed, educated, positive media. Independent radio hosts and independent networks have been the face of positive messaging over the past decade. So all of us here have decided we're going to put together an independent network that is going to enable people to bring their positive message of hope, inspiration, and conscious action to the forefront. Help us create a future of amazing, uplifting stories that can be told so we can tell our children and they can tell their children of what hope and conscious action is all about. I want to thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on right here. A very special good news event with our friends from PETA, P-E-T-A. Dr. Laura Shields joining us here in a minute. But before you go anywhere, I want to make sure I give you the website. I cannot emphasize what PETA has done, what they've been doing, what they're doing now and what they plan to do. And the only way to stay on top of that and get involved is go to their organization, PETA, P-E-T-A. And if you're wondering, what does PETA stand for? People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. There we go. Uh, Dr. Laura Shields joining us here today, Manager of Corporate Responsibility, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA. But here's the thing. We have watched fashion twist and turn, grow and shrink, up level, down level, green, not green. But the trend that's happening now can only be contrasted to the trends of early years. Example, anybody that's watched the movie Carol can see Kate Blanchett in a blonde pink fur. That is not happening now. And what is happening now? And why are we so happy that we are not seeing a lot of that in fashion in our pop culture, in movies, 
and in the world. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here, Dr. Shields. Great to have you. Oh, thank you, Dr. Pat. What a lovely introduction. Well, you know, everybody's shocked. It's the was, you know, I, I mean, clearly the point was made in the movie Carol with Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. I mean, that that was the code of that time. My mom even had one. I think everybody's mom, you know, that that longed to have one, had one. But we just did not know. Here we are. Give us an update. New York City Fashion Week coming up February 11th. And let's talk vegan. I love mm, saying that. I love it. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I just, oh, I just felt it. Love it. It is so exciting. It is. It's so wonderful to see that the future of fashion is innovative. It's sustainable. It's exciting. And most importantly, it's animal free. And we're seeing that major designers and fashion houses, they've stopped using fur. Like you said, we're, you know, fur is dead. No one's using that. Stopped with exotic skins. And instead are using these luxurious vegan leathers and eco-friendly faux furs that, that no one had to suffer and die for. And it's so easy for individuals to fight the climate catastrophe, uh, and, you know, and save animals at the same time, just by leaving things like leather and wool and down out of their wardrobe. Yeah. I love that we're talking about this. And, and I want to just get a, I want to get a lowdown from you. Look, you have been out there in the world. You've seen it. You understand what cruelty means. You've been out in the world. You work with uh, more than 350 companies. You are out there walking the pavement, pounding a beat, as we like to say. That's just about everybody at PETA <laughs> does. Yeah. I don't know anybody at PETA that sits behind a desk. But I want to ask you, I don't think so. I want to just ask you this, though, if you had to point to a trend shift, I mean, a paradigm shift, I mean, a perspective shift from where we Mm -hmm. were about three or five years ago to where we are today, what is putting a happy smile on your face right now? Oh, that's a great question. And I would say that the the paradigm shift is the consumers it's socially conscious consumers it's generation z it's millennials they're the largest consumer base in history and they are the ones that are demanding cruelty free vegan materials and i have we've just there's just an explosion of companies marketing their items as vegan celebrating that no animals were used in those products and that they're more sustainable or they are sustainable, um, much more than wool or leather or down. And it has certainly made my job uh, a lot easier when it's just, I just point to the fact that companies need to get with the times. They need to say it's 2022. We have evolved. We need to now have products that don't harm our earth or the animals. I want to talk about H&M for a minute, um, because I was just reading and preparing for this to talk with you. And I I, I want to just read this and have you explain what this means. They recently created a 100% vegan collection in collaboration with you. Now, I'm not talking 80%. I'm not talking 30%. But accomplishing 100% vegan collection of course they had to do it with you but what was that like to be partnering and then see that result oh it was thrilling it just was so 
just so heartwarming and exciting because I helped facilitate that collaboration between PETA and H&M, and they were so excited to be promoting a, a vegan collection that no animals were, were used at all in the, in the making of those clothes. And that was the selling point. That was so exciting to see they are marketing this 100% vegan collection as 100% vegan because people are listening, you know, people are, they're listening to their consumers and they're realizing that that's what they want. And they did a really wonderful photo shoot of uh, the models at a sanctuary uh, with rescued farmed animals to really even drive home the fact that you can coexist. That was the name of the collection, coexist with animals, with the planet, while simultaneously being on the cutting edge of gorgeous fashion. Mm. You know, I, I want to make sure everybody knows you. I, this is one partnership. Let's just call it one partnership for the moment. But every day there is another and another and another and another. And, you know, when people go to your website, PETA, P-E-T-A dot org, P-E-T-A dot org, when they go to the website, website, there's a lot they can get updated and educated about everything from animals rights issues to news, things that you brought to the forefront. Mm. But now Mm -hmm. here's the question. Now we're just all over the pop culture of the world. You know, it used to be, right, doctor? It used to be that there was a segment of the population where they were like, yeah, go PETA. But now, like, have you crossed to the mainstream? Oh, I'd say we've certainly crossed the mainstream. Uh, uh, PETA and PETA entities have more than 9 million members and supporters worldwide. And PETA is just, it's a household name. People know animal rights, they know PETA, and it's, I I think because people more and more are becoming aware of how animals suffer in the wool and down and leather industries, uh, that that animal welfare has become uh, a forefront concern in the last, uh, that's just, that's been more of a progression and it'll just continue that way. We're just, we're seeing it go that way, that this is, this is something that they're concerned about and, and they should be. You know, let me ask you this question. You, we're not talking about this very much today, but I just would like you to comment on it. You know, let's talk about what some of the materials are in the New York Fashion Week. But also, let's talk about what you all have had to do to really annihilate the stigma around the word vegan. And you, I think you know what I mean, right? Yes, yes, exactly. When I, when I talk about vegan fashion... Um, you know, 15 years ago, people might think I was talking about hemp sandals or a, a bamboo smock or something, just something that uh, kind of, quote unquote, a granola <laughs> hippie person would wear uh, some scratchy like, outfit. But uh, it has just become such a mainstream word to describe anything that is not made from an animal or doesn't use an animal. Um, and it's not just in clothing. I mean, we're seeing that with the food explosion there, it's unbelievable. You go into any grocery store and the amount of vegan products that are marketed as vegan just is, has exponentially grown. Um, you see people no longer wanting to support, uh, industries that 
exploit animals for entertainment. I mean, SeaWorld is on its way out and uh, all sorts of, it, it's just wonderful to see that vegan is, it's no, it's, it's not stigmatized anymore. It now represents uh, a kind, compassionate, environmentally conscious uh, way of, mm-hmm. of being, of way of being. Yeah. I thought about you all uh, not too long ago. I, I literally had this thought about you. Now, I've inter- interviewed a number of people. I've interviewed, you know, your founder, of course. But I was mm. watching one of a blockbuster films that recently came out. Right. And, and I just want to tell you what, what the film is and then just comment on it, because this is how you know that we've crossed a, a plateau when it comes to educating in our pop culture world, when you can do a blockbuster movie, right, called The Suicide Squad and make rats the heroes of the movie. (laughs) And do you see where I'm coming from? Like that movie did more to educate people on the kindness of that animal than decades of trying to tell people stop testing on them, right? Isn't this what's happening in the fashion industry by coming forward, being fashion forward, being out in the world, being a conversation in our pop culture? Aren't you all in conjunction with others really changing mindsets? Mm, Absolutely. Yes, that's such a good uh, that's an apt way to put it. Changing mindsets, certainly. And I think it's the result of Uh, a lot of PETA's undercover investigations that have shown Mm, time and time and time again that animals suffer terribly so that people can wear their skin and wool. And just quick example, in the leather industry, cows have their throat slit and many are still alive when they're skinned. And, you know, wool is not a haircut. It's a bloody, violent shearing process. And, and that, you know, we've, we've gone to over a hundred wool operations and see the same types of abuses of workers punching the animals in the face and stomping on them. And the down industry workers rip out fistfuls of the bird's feathers while they're still conscious and shrieking. So I think that there's just a much more awareness of the fact that this is standard industry practice happening on farms that have been previously shrouded from public view. And when you bring that to light, people are rightly horrified and designers are responding to that and making uh, and making wonderful changes towards vegan materials. Now, I know this is short interview and I know you've got to run. Um, I want to just ask you this as you take a snapshot of where you are today. And I know you're doing so many of these interviews. What excites you most about the future? What excites you most about not just creating a shift in mindset, here, uh, Dr. Shields, but a shift in action? Mm, Yes, that's a good question. I think what excites me the most is that I'm seeing that animals, that, that people are very concerned about the treatment of animals, and they are acting accordingly. They're buying more vegan products. They're leaving wool and leather and down out of their wardrobes. They're not supporting industries that exploit animals. They're looking in the back of their um, shampoo bottles to make sure that there's a, a leaping bunny logo that what that the product wasn't tested on animals. It's just, it's becoming second nature. And I know that animals will 
be out of supply chains as this continues. And that's what's most exciting to me. And, you know, what's so exciting to me is that I can both go to your website, PETA.org, and I can go to websites of organizations like H&M, and I can see headlines that say H&M's coexist story puts PETA-approved animal-friendly fashion center stage. That, to me, that is a breakthrough in mainstream. And I want to congratulate all of you for working so hard. Thank you so much for today. One oh, last- thank you. One last question. I would love to know your personal message. What do you want to leave us with here? I would, I would like to say that, you know, it's, it's so easy to live a kind and compassionate lifestyle by just not buying anything that comes from an animal. It's simple, it's easy, and you can help the environment and animals every day by just making that choice to live vegan. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a short break, everybody. Please go check it out. You can go to PETAPETA.org. And of course, all you need to do is Google vegan collection and you'll start to see the fashion. Looking forward for fashion week. Thank you all. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. Uh, Look, I am so thrilled to have another conversation. I have a conversation with somebody that just is so innovative, you know, bringing us so many things to think about, whether you're looking at amazing books, screenplays. Here's what I want to say about this. My very special guest today uh, Norm, Norm McCombs. You've heard me interview him before, but here's what I want to say. This is the time to celebrate. Celebrate what he has done and what the world is getting ready to receive. Not only are we going to be talking about a reason to be, but we're going to be talking about a reason to be and give you an update on this amazing historical novel and what Hollywood may be doing with it. Norm, it's great to have you here. Nice to be with you again. How are you? I'm great. Man, this has been exciting for you, hasn't it? Well, I had COVID in between, so. (laughs) that Well, that really makes it exciting, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, what about a year ago now? Took yeah. Me quite a while. To, I still, I still think I'm weak from it. That's an yeah. insidious, insidious disease. Isn't Did you it? catch it? No, yeah. uh, I didn't catch it, or I didn't catch it that I know of. Um, and you know, I have to knock on wood because, I mean, I've spent hours in an airport and walked away from that, and really long uh, TSA lines. So I knock on wood every day. Um, yeah. But I'm so sorry to hear that. Wow. No, I, I survived. So that was... No kidding, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you I'm must. Walking, talking. Yeah, you must have a reason to be. Yeah, don't we all need that? <laughs> um, but let's talk about. Let's give people a, a just a just a snapshot of where we were perhaps the last time we talked and how things have progressed as a reason to be 
you know, literally snatched up best sci-fi screenplay from the Los Angeles Film Awards. And they're so, it's getting the attention of, of so many people. And I want to talk to you about why that is. But that's the exciting part of the year that I was referring to. Pardon me? Oh, did I lose you? Yeah, I guess. Went dark, went dark all of a sudden. Um, I so, hear you now. Okay. Uh, so I want to talk with you about... Here we are today. We're talking about the accolades the film is getting, or the, actually the screenplay is getting. Uh, best screenplay. I want to ask you this question. Not, not, not just what you make of it, but what is it about what you've written, what you've brought forward, that so many people are relating to today? Well, I think there's... There are different facets of it. You know, <clears throat> I think the thing that uh, that is most uh, talked about by by my readers has to do with survival after you know, losing my wife to Alzheimer's. Mm. But this, my ancestry is sort of interesting as well, and just uh, just going back into my past uh, was good therapy for me. See where you know where I came from. Uh, sort of what my foundation was the reason to what what can I build on and I learned a great deal a lot of interesting people back there and I, some people relate to it I think because of the survival aspect of it the historical aspect of it and also it's a love story in, in the end that's what it my survival when I got a, had a reason to be I, I met a uh, wonderful woman that uh, is my partner now today and it, that's my reason to be along with my connections with the University of Nevada, uh, UNLV, and my involvement now is the uh, screenplay. It's a new world for me, uh, but it's it's interesting and exciting. So I'm, I'm glad I did it. Well, when you sat down and this came to you and you wrote about this, I, I want to know what the message was that was needing to come out? Um, this, again, the survival aspect of it. I wanted people to understand that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I was in, uh, I was clinically depressed um, up to the point of my wife's death and sometime after that. And I was just staying alive. I, mm. When I think back about it, I don't know how I, how I did. Oh, man. But... But I had people that helped me along the way, and in the end, that's what you need is to reach out to others to, to help you. You have to have somebody to lean on. Being alone is not a good thing. And uh, so I had a lot of good friends, a lot of contacts in my industry, and they were they were angels to me. So that's so I my advice to everyone that's maybe in my sort of situation is not to be alone to reach out friends, relatives, uh, Alzheimer's yeah. organizations, so forth. But, uh, so now I'm I'm quite active, actually. I've gotten involved in a lot of things. And that's, that's, that's also a very important message, mm -hmm. just remain active, get out of the house, uh, learn new things. I'm writing a memoir, which is a lot about learning. Uh, you know, I've 
people at University of Buffalo and uh, UNLV have asked me to write a memoir trying to connect the dots between my creativity and my life experience. Mm. I'm finding it rather difficult. <laughs> you know, where, where, do you, where do you draw the line between the DNA contributor and the environmental contributor? But I'm on sixth chapter now, so I'm hoping to be able to finish it. Yeah, Th- that's a whole show work. topic yourself to talk about yourself. You know, I mean, yeah. I think we all really, anybody that's gone through any pain, and I know, I don't know what it's like to be you, but I know what it's like to lose a mom at age six, uh, and, oh, yeah. and to go through the feeling and the depth of breath of that, what it feels to be alone, you know, that feeling of yeah. aloneness. So I want to thank you for bringing that message out. Uh, and sharing it again. Um, there are people that may have heard the last interview, Norm, and people that may have may not have. But clearly, you know, we're talking about a body of work that you've done that brings to the forefront um, the best and most interesting of sci-fi, and and does it in such a beautiful way you know, a journey through family history. And I'm sure people have asked you how much of this comes from your history and how much of this is, you know, imagination. But that's not actually my question. We are so drawn now to our history. I mean, there's a reason why online websites that connect people back to their ancestry are so popular. There's a reason for it. Because I mm-hmm. think there's a yearning, isn't there, into understanding those parts of ourselves that help us become who we are today. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I think there's a general interest, particularly as you get older, trying to figure out where you came from. That's why Ancestry.com is so um, successful. You know, they, they unlock that door for individuals to find out exactly uh, as close as they can to their, their ancestry. Um, I had a lot of work done before I started looking into it by a, a relative in Toronto, uh, Murray McCombs, who had, uh, he did all of the hard stuff. And I found that I piggybacked in on that and then went further. So that was my great resource. I went to Scotland and uh, we went to Scotland and, and found the uh, the clan meeting place, which was ex- exciting for us. Um, uh, it gave me a, a sense of family. I think that's what we're all looking for. I never had children. So I'm, I think if you, if you don't have children, you're always, maybe you're more driven to find your roots. Um, uh, but, uh, it's a it's an individual thing, but in, but there is a general statement I think one can make is that we all know we want to know where we came from. When we think about this, and you think about you know the next step for the film, uh, I'm already in the film. The next ne- let's call it the next step for the story. You know, there has to be a part of this where you've done something where you put your heart and soul into this. I mean, I've read it. I've talked to you before about it. uh, And I don't think people listening have a sense of how much detail went into this. 
but I want to make sure everybody knows first and foremost, Norm, how do they find out about you? How did they find out about the book? Well, I'm, if you go to normanmccombs.com on YouTube, there's a lot about my background and a few speeches I've made. Uh, most people get the, the book or the, the tape or the ebook from Amazon. And that's, uh, again, YouTube, if anybody wants to know about my background, that YouTube is probably the best resource. Love it. Um, I want to ask you this kind of last series of questions. I know these interviews are short. I want to know, like, as you were writing this, what kind of surprised you along the way? You know, did you have any moments like, uh, like, for example, I found out some stuff about my family, right? It, mm -hmm. it totally shocked me. Uh, we had the, the, the best hidden secret until the Internet came along. And then you can see that, wait a minute, who are all those relatives in South America, right? That are well, trying, right, they're trying to reach out to you. They're like, are you familiar? In Port I got yeah. one in Portuguese. And then the good news was my uncle, 94 years old, was still with us. And I sat him down and I said, you have got to tell me all sides of the family. You've got to tell me. And what he did was he told me some of it, Norm, but he didn't tell me all of it. But he told me enough that when I went online, I found out that my grandfather was born in Brazil. He was a farmer. Nobody, oh. nobody in the family knew that. So when I go through your book and I mm -hmm. just am in awe about the beautiful tapestry that you've created that has to be so fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. okay, we're talking about sci-fi, but that's not the point. The point is that you're, you're just giving us this beautiful tapestry for what people long to know. What gives you mm -hmm. the most sense of pride about this body of work? Well, I, it's a difficult question, but I've been asked it before. The, the first thing that I was, the, the opening of the book, the prologue has to do with my deep ancestry in the 15th century when Thomas broke away from the Macintosh clan. And I, pretty tough guy. He, he had, uh, he literally broke the back of the Macintosh clan. They were trying to take over his, Take his wife, his family, his farm, everything, and that's that was the clan system at the time. So he was strong enough to overcome that. That impressed me. Um, get to the point where uh, John Gordon McCombs in in Belfast, he had been sent there along with a lot of other Scots uh, by Oliver Cromwell, and his his wife impressed me. He he had a bastard child named Timothy, and his wife um, took it took that child on the, the woman that he the mother of that child died in childbirth so so Jane John Gordon's wife adopted and that, that same Timothy and he was my fourth great-grandfather so they because they, they came to North America um, family did in like 1735 something like that pre-revolution um, and they made an impact Mm. Beyond that point, um, Alexander McCombs 
he became friends with Alexander Hamilton, and he he helped found the New York Stock Exchange. And I, I was able to go to the building that he lived in, McCombs Mansion on 39 Broadway. Stood there in the rain looking at the plaque and wanted to point at it and tell everybody going by, look, that's me. Uh, they, they have a bas-relief of the original building. And, hmm. it's, and it's it's right next to the New York Stock Exchange. Alexander Hamilton is buried down the street in the Lutheran Cemetery. So it, was, it, it gave me a, a sense of history. Uh, there's a McCombs bridge up by uh, McCombs Dam, they call it, a bridge up by Yankee Stadium that I didn't know existed. Yeah. He left quite a uh, imprint, Alexander did, and his son, Alexander Jr., was received the first um, uh, Medal of Honor hmm. for his, his efforts in the War of 1812. Uh, so those all all impressed me. My rel- my clo- I had a, one relative, Jacob McCombs, who was a uh, traveling minister, and he, I read a lot, he was a very interesting, powerful man, and his, his son was uh, Norman McCombs, my grandfather, uh, his firstborn was Norman McCombs as well, so I, actually I found out I can be Norman McCombs III if I wanted to be, mm. but my father's, even though my father's name was Robert, and he was uh, the ninth child of that family, so I found a lot of interesting things, and most of which, again, all of which I'm proud of. I'm just, you know, it gives me a, a base of understanding of where I came from. And that was, that. I think that was the goal, whether I went yeah. into it open-eyed or not. But that, retrospectively, that's what it gave to me. It, it gave me somewhat of a sense of closure. Yeah. And then, so I wrote about it. And, you know, what I love about what you shared is a level of connecting that um, there are those of us that want to believe it will not become a lost art. It will not become a lost art. Um, and mm. so by really taking us on that journey, it's a beautiful, beautiful journey. You know, but there's other parts of this too that you've experienced incredible loss. And then that loss, especially with the effects of Alzheimer's. Um, yeah. I still haven't gotten over that. I don't, I don't think mm. we're meant to forget it. I don't you know, think we, so people either. Live in your people live in your memory. That's the only way they go on. Yep. Well, no, I don't think we're it, meant it's to. Pain, it's, no, it's painful to remember. So mm-hmm. that's my my problem. It is Emotionally, painful. Emotionally, I'm not really very strong. So. Mm. I hate to admit it, but you know, I'm strong in every other way. But emotionally, I I don't take loss very well. I don't take it well at all. So. Mm. I, I don't know if I'm in the minority there or not, but I've never been able to callous myself mm. such to protect my emotions from the loss of anyone, a dog. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh, I totally relate to that. But you know, you know what I think, Norm, about this is you wouldn't. So I don't consider that a weakness at all. I mean, and you would not be in, been able to write the way you wrote this book, or you know, be so connected with an individual's journey and connect the dots the way you did and do it in such a beautifully open-hearted way if you were not you. And I honestly, I don't know anyone that forgets the memory of the journey that you go through with someone that has an illness like Alzheimer's, you know, because your heart is so open. And see that to me, when you speak about that, 
That is such a beautiful thing. Painful, well, it, but it, beautiful. It, it, it involves, you know, it has to be, it might sound trite, but it has to be true love. I mean, you really yeah. have to be, you know, it's, people say, you know, they, use the, they throw the word love around. Mm. But you have, uh, to me, it has such, if you truly love, love someone, that never that connection never breaks, uh, no matter what. And uh, but if you just bounce off of people, sure you you know you forget about them, mm. married or not, or whatever your connection is. But yeah. I have friends over so many years that when I lose them, it's I love them. You know, many male friends, different forms of love, uh, but I, I realized that the the sense of loss was such that I I had this deep connection that you can use the word love. Define. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, so beautiful, Norm. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Um, last question: I'd love to know your personal message for people, and please let them know how to find out more about you and about the book. And congratulations to you. Okay, thank you very much. Well, I'm I'm hopeful there will be a movie made of it. I think that'd be great fun. Uh, uh, just starting down that path. <coughs> as far as any message I have, it's relative to Alzheimer's it's get help uh, don't I did I did not I just thought as a scientist I was able to take care of her and mm. solve the problem which it still isn't you know, no, not, in my opinion virtually made no no advancement in the for a cure relative to Alzheimer's and um, but anyone who's in that situation reach out for help I'm trying to do it alone like the way I did it put me into deep depression and I almost lost my my own life as a result of it. Um, so I'm trying to make the best of what what I have left and send out a message of hope to people and uh, maybe entertain them a bit, uh, educate them a bit, but most of all make them realize that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, stay alive, seek help, uh, think positive. That's about it, and I hope maybe when the film comes out, who knows, if it does, it'd be, it'd be great fun, so maybe we'll talk about that. Oh, I hope we will. I'm counting on it, Norm. So get ready. Okay. Get ready for that interview, okay? Okay, uh, okay. a question for you. Sure. When I say the name Bacilli, you know, is that, to me that's Italian. Is that your maiden name? Or your, uh, your no, name? That, that is the, my father's name. Bacilli is correct. My grandfather, yeah. that was the big secret, and we all wondered about this, Norm, because what we wondered about is on my mom's side of the family, the coloring of my grandma and my grandfather's sons and daughters, my mom, her brothers, was really unusual. So, for example, my Aunt May, my Uncle Bobby, black, black hair, dark, dark hair, and just piercing blue eyes, right? <laughs> and that's not characteristic of Italy, by the way. No, hardly. not at all. And uh, no. let's see who else. So it was kind of split between the way my mom kind of looked. So this is on my mom's side of the family and nobody talked about it. And then the other thing we discovered, which was shocking, which was my grandfather had a brother. Nobody even knew he had a brother and mm. the brother went to Brazil. So uh, th this was like me sitting down with my uncle at the 11th hour to say, you, this, you can't hide this from the internet anymore. 
You just can't mm. hide. And so yeah. I always wondered how my mom and my dad met. And never, nobody ever gave me a good a a example. But when you think about the fact that the secret of Brazil lingered with my grandfather's brother and my grandfather in Brazil, it really does make you think. And I said to him, why was this a secret? And his answer was kind of interesting, Norm. It was, well, we don't know where your grandfather came from. And I said, okay, what does that mean? Well, we think he was Irish. I said, okay. <laughs> um, and this was before I, I did the report to find him in Brazil. Mm. But people and families have secrets. Mm -hmm. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the secrets well, in my family. But there's one, there's one important thing to know about that, and what you know the date at which they uh, immigrated uh, to um, Brazil. Uh, my grandfather was born in Brazil, so I haven't been oh. able to backtrack that. Okay, because right, you know, a lot of my, my grandfather did immigrate. My grandfather's brother immigrated from Italy. But my okay. grandfather was literally born in Brazil, and he was listed as a farmer. Oh, that was because, shocking. You know, a lot of you know, heard of you know boys from Brazil, which were uh, escapees from Nazi, you know, not escapee, but yep. people that ran from Nazi Germany. Yeah, and Italy. And that, you know, it, Italy was, but Italy was part of the Axis. So I'm wondering if some of the Italians. That's why I ask about the date. Uh, I'm going to have to look it up. I, I'll go back and look it up. Um, I think I was so shocked. And the way it was revealed to me was really surprising. I have a friend that's like a genealogy buff. And yeah. there was about 30 of us. And we were in a room. And she was doing everybody's genealogy. And at that point, I knew enough about my family. I didn't care about my dad's side. So she said, uh -huh. everybody did this but you, Pat. And I said, well, I don't want to do my dad's side of the family. I mean, I understand that. And she said, well, let's do your mother's side. And that's what mm -hmm. she did. And in, <laughs> it was really funny. It was surreal because she said, look, I'm doing a lot of searches. And the only Tom with that name was born in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Is this your grandfather? I said, that sure yeah. is. You know, was yeah. this his wife? Yep, that's her. Yeah. And then are these his kids? I said, yeah. So, well, he was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I oh. said, okay. And then I just like, I didn't know what to say. I, I mean, you know, oh. I don't know what you say to something like that. So I just started to look at that a little closer. But you have, you have fodder there for writing a book yourself, Pat. You get <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. about it. I'm seriously thinking about it. But I have so much fun honoring what you do, Norm. And I can't wait. Please let us know how this progresses, oh, would you? So, yeah. Uh, Scott is always working on it, so I got him. Okay, good. All right. So happy New Year. <laughs> thank, thank you so much happy for having me again. You and bet. Stay healthy, okay, Pat? Oh, I, you bet. I'm, I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> Okay, great. Thanks, Norm. Thank you Take again. care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.